0: KYW original podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. First, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Flashpoint podcast. Welcome to the Flashpoint family. Would you do me a favor? Would you log on to the radio.com app, Apple podcast app, or whatever podcast platform that you use and subscribe to Flashpoint. All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW. Now let's get to it. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the focus is the November 5th general election that no one is talking about. But let me tell you, money
1: is pouring in. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of outside money coming in to support uh, the independent candidate.
0: And history is on the brink
2: in the region. They got together and they said, we are going to start turning
0: B.C. The races to watch and the shifting demographics, Commonwealth wide. Then he was acquitted of voluntary manslaughter for his part in the death of real estate investor Sean Skellinger. Now he's speaking out.
3: Nobody ever heard from me. Nobody ever heard out of my mouth. I'm sorry for your loss.
0: So. Michael White tells the world who he is after a tragic situation. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is Election Day 2019. While it's not a nail-biter in Philadelphia because of one-party politics, there's a lot happening on November 5th. First, Philly City Council at large races could see an upset, maybe. And not to mention party shifts region-wide. Plus, there are some ballot questions and new voting machines. So what do voters, many of whom have fascinated? need to be thinking about for november 5th with me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is jasmine Sesum. she is founder of she can win we also have david thornburg president and ceo of the committee of 70 and finally we have nick field a journalist who covers politics and culture everybody welcome to flashpoint thank you Jeremy. thank you nice for having us. so let's start in philly okay and jasmine i'm gonna start with you what are the races to watch i mean it seems like city council is the only one yeah, City Council is probably the
2: most exciting one this go-round. Um There are five independents running, five Democrats are on the ballot, Republicans. So it could be a, a good shakeup for once in Philadelphia City Council. Some of the independents running, they have money. They got money, money. TV uh, money. TV and radio money because two of them are up on radio every morning during primetime, a.k.a. 8 a.m. on Power 99. So that's money,
0: money. David, do we need to even pay attention to the other races? <laughs> One-party politics.
1: Well, well, sure. I mean, actually, one of the most interesting races in city council is Brian O'Neill's district mm. race, uh, which is competitive for the first time in forever. And and that's a real race to watch in addition to the city council races and the independent candidates. They're judicial races. We remind people those are important races. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we point folks to our ballot tool at 70.org. I'll say that again before we leave. Um, <laughs> it's a good chance before you get there to sort things out, figure out who you're going to vote for. And, you know, every vote matters and every, every race matters.
0: Yeah, every race matters. History could be made in our region on November 5th, yes. in Delaware yes. County specifically.
4: Yes, you, Delaware County has been eyed by Democrats for a long time. I think this might be the, the year they finally uh, get there. Delaware County has been trending Democratic a long time. It is, besides Philadelphia, obviously, in Allegheny County, Delaware and Montgomery are really the strongest Democratic counties in the Collar counties. And we've seen in other uh, counties like uh, Chester and Bucks, which are even a little bit less so, where they've been gaining strength in local offices. And I think it's finally the year for Democrats locally there.
0: Yeah, and I know that um we had three seats become available in Delaware County Council, um which is unprecedented. You got all of these people moving to the county and I even went to the Delaware Black Caucus, the the, the black folks that got together and teamed up and, and formed the caucus. There you go. Shout out
2: to Malcolm Yates who's <laughs> over there know. at the Delaware uh, Black Caucus. Shout out to him. Yeah. They're doing big things. You know, they realized there was uh power in numbers. And so they got together and they said, we are going to start turning these seats. And also, shout out to Monica Taylor, who, if elected, is a Democrat, will be the first African-American woman elected countywide in Delaware County. So shout out, Monica. She's a she can win girl.
0: We saw this a little bit in Philly, Jasmine. And David, I want you to come on on this because folks have decided that they're not going to play this whole party politics thing anymore. Folks, what what has sort of been fueling this shift of folks just kind of stepping out there and and throwing their hats in the ring.
1: Well, a couple things. One is, I agree with you. I think people are sick and tired of the of the two party uh, system. Um, it's also a testament to the weakness of the Republican Party. There are more uh, unaffiliated voters, i.e., non uh, major party voters, in Philadelphia than there are Republicans. And frankly, there this is also an indication that you know. Politics are increasingly nationalized. There's there's a, mm. there's hundreds of thousands of dollars of outside money coming in to support uh, the independent candidates. So, you know, we, we probably better get used to that because that seems to be what's happening in those races, in district attorney races and, you know, more to come.
0: Statewide, what's happening in our region isn't necessarily reflective of what's happening farther out in Pennsylvania.
4: No. In our region, in the southeast, basically Philadelphia and the the four collar counties that surround it are becoming increasingly democratic in their voter registrations, even more so in the last few years. It's really been rapidly accelerating statewide, especially in old democratic regions like the northeast, Scranton, even Erie. um, Obviously, in the southwest, there's been a lot of uh, loss there recently. So and when you say
0: loss, you're talking about a Democratic loss, and yeah,
4: in registrations and in just kind of margins over Republicans. Um, so except for the South Central, where Dems are kind of slowly turning the tide there, it's really Southeast and the rest of the state.
1: Nick wrote a great piece the other day about the change in registrations, but I was given a little hard time because <laughs> one of the things that's been happening again, sort of what I said earlier, is people are getting turned off by the D's and R's. And they're choosing to switch to independence. Mm. Um, so that to me is one of the bigger stories out there. And, uh, you know, they get to – everybody gets to vote in general elections. They Independent voters don't get to vote in primaries, which is kind of a problem if you ask me. But – So that's another sort of X factor out there uh, in this election and will be certainly for 2020. That'll be my next piece. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I'm all in. I have
2: a suggestion for a piece. I would like to look at the the demographics of independent voters because as more black women start moving over to independent because they are tired of that Mm two-party, because neither party is speaking to our issues and what we want to champion, that independent party is looking pretty good to that very – heavy voter block of African-American women. So I have spoken, I spoke out in Delaware County, and a lot of them were kind of like, you know what, the independent party isn't looking too bad to me right now. And shout out to working families for doing the good work, you know, really getting the message out there and really pushing
0: that message. The people who do show up are specifically motivated by certain things. Any clues on that?
1: I I think there's a national sort of atmospheric conditions, Mm -hmm. which is just... Uh, there's a lot of mistrust, mistrust in government, you know, kind of a throw the bums out. Um, I think that's fueling. <laughs> throw part, the bums yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's tried and true. Other than that, it's it feels like kind of the usual things, you know, Philadelphia, gentrification, you know, councilmanic prerogative, schools, crime, taxes. And
0: safe injection sites.
1: Safe injection sites, yep. Yeah. Um, and then the counties, it's. It's continuing. There are some places that are growing too fast and some places that are not growing enough, and I think that sort of is, is on the on the table. Yeah,
0: and is it statewide any different? Or what issues are sort of pushing folks? Is it the, the same old, same old?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I would say it would, it's usually whatever you – know a local election like this, it's local issues, local candidates, and the it's very hard for them to break through. Yeah. Them, especially when you got a presidential race that's starting. And people are focused on that. Your primaries, I think, I was less than a hundred days away now. Yeah, so I know that takes all the attention that one would give to politics. It's kind of getting shifted that way.
0: How is money playing into this? And and you know, comment on this as well because you got the rise of these independents, and they're not broke. So for the
2: first time ever, they're actually needs to be money in this general like I am getting more call times now than ever before in any other general election because you know um, Kendra Brooks she raised what $145,000 that's unprecedented for an independent candidate to come into this election with I mean that's more than any Republican candidate has right now in our at-large city council race that's scary you know to have that sort of investment and I got to tell you looking at her last campaign finance report because now they're in 24-hour reporting Kendrick, she has union money, but she has a lot of individual donors. And when you have individual donors, that means those donors can mobilize into voters for you. Mm -hmm. So it is very different. You know, a lot of the Democrats are sitting up and taking notice. You know, Alan Dom obviously has more money than anything in the world. He's out here changing campaign finance laws in the middle of a race. But for the lower ballot people, they are now having to actively fundraise and bring on consultants yet again, where in the general election, normally after the primary, you let your consultant go. Consultants are now staying on in the general election to get them over that hump. You hear them up on radio now. You never hear anybody on the radio
0: in the general. In the local general. In yeah. the local
2: general. You never, ever, ever hear that. Now I've heard three different radio ads for at-large candidates.
0: Yeah, and of course, this is a time when judicial races kind of get front right. and center. But, I mean, how big is how is this money playing in? People well, have cash.
1: Well, I, m- I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the phenomenons, and this happened in Larry Krasner's race for yeah. DA, like— literally hundreds of thousands of, of dollars shows up in Philadelphia raised nationally in these so-called independent expenditure groups that don't coordinate with the campaigns. Um, but, you know, which the
0: way it used to be, know, so that, be like
1: the party would give you the, well, it used to be the money would just flow into the parties. Uh, but, you know, Philadelphia has campaign finance limits and then citizens, the citizens United decision allowed these independent dollars to, to be raised, you know, at, at will and however much you want to put into it. so, so that's like you said earlier, you have these like national uh, forces that are showing up in local elections for better, for worse. I'm not so sure for better. But as I say, it kind of is what it is for the time being.
0: That does make you go. Hmm. Right. That goes in Pennsylvania, though, uh, Nick, is. Uh, the people are going to be watching this? They're watching where yes. the money goes and which districts it's flowing into because Pennsylvania was so critical to the 2016 election.
4: Oh, yeah, it was very critical. Uh, Hillary Clinton cited Pennsylvania suburbs as, in her book, What Happened, as like a place where mm. after the Jim Comey letter, kind of her poll numbers really dipped. She was predicting about 64 percent there. That was the latest Franklin Marshall poll right before the Comey letter dropped. And I was actually running uh, Tom Wolf's numbers in 2018 to see how he did in the Philly suburbs. And he got about 63.5 percent. So you think if she had hit the numbers that she was projected at in the southeast collar counties, maybe the state changes and possibly the election could change, especially the one coming up next year. Are, are you watching
0: this, Jasmine? Are you watching this? this November 5th date to get any insight in what's going to happen next year in the general?
2: Yes and no. I think that locally, that's what we're watching. And I want to see who wins, who takes the office. Are there going to be any upsets? I do like the Judy Moore, Brian O'Neill race. I think that one's really interesting. And I'll see if the tides are turning the, I got to tell you, the presidential is something like I've never seen before. I read an article the other day about um, how this is the most diverse field of Uh, Democratic candidates running, but yet none of the minorities can move to the front. So I don't believe that this November 5th election really reflects on the presidential. The presidential is something unwritten. You want to know what the presidential is? Anybody but Donald Trump. That is not what our general local election is. Local election could be business as usual or it could be an upset.
0: Yeah. The dice is rolling. The dice is literally rolling. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And I I sort of resist the notion that that this election in a week is just sort of batting practice for the for the for the for the presidential because these are important races, you know, out in the counties, the county uh, commissioners, all the uh, the the so-called row offices. You have school board elections. You have local elections. You know, these are these are elections that mean something to people. So it's not just, you know, we're just going to watch this Mm -hmm. to. Get some predictions for 2020, Um, we will learn something, Mm -hmm. but maybe not quite as much as from 2018, from the midterm congressional elections, where typically turnout is like double in the midterm elections, what it is in the local elections. So, you know, I I, I will at least until November 6th resist the (laughs) temptation to (laughs) say, you know, this is just a a warm up for 20, uh, for uh, 26, for 2020.
0: Yeah, because the people who probably come out statewide even aren't necessarily the folks who will come out next year. We'll see large droves of people in 2016. I mean, 2020.
4: Yes, I think you'll see really large turnout in 2020. But it is important just to kind of piggyback on that point, um, the unseen ramifications that can happen in these off-year elections. I remember in 2015, during the state Supreme Court races, Democrats uh, really seized the initiative that year and swept – you know, three open seats and turn the balance of the court. Mm -hmm. And when the redistricting case came up, they were able to change the drawing of the congressional seats and gained four seats in these last 2018 elections. And there's still about two other seats that they could still conceivably win next year. So in this election where people might think, oh, what's on the ballot? Nothing really matters. It could it may take two, three years, but it could end up being very important.
0: Yeah. and, And that's a good point with the judicial races. Um, Because judges have been front and center with some big, very high-profile case, (laughs) Meek Mill. And we've seen um, a lot of judges being called out here. And most people have no clue who's running for these judicial races. But that's a big part of this local election day.
1: Yeah, And I have to say, uh, on our voter guide, we use the Bar Association recommendations, Mm -hmm. which are, are good and consistent. Um so you know if you need some help take a look at it and and our advice is to follow their recommendations they they do a good thorough job of vetting the candidates and you know that's what's out there.
0: Yeah and I know that we're going to be uh having some some of that on uh com as um well so we um let's talk about turnout a little bit. I mean we always see a paltry <laughs> turnout on these general elections um Why? Why do you think when they have such a big impact and there's money flowing? People don't realize the impact
2: that they have. They don't really understand city council or judge races. Most people don't even really know what the day to day of a mayor does. So it's really trying to get the education of how these offices affect your day to day being. And I think that committee of 70 does a great job of educating the uh, public on why these elections are so important and why you have to come out and vote. You know, uh, for She Can Win, we are out from this weekend all the way up until Election Day, knocking on doors, dropping lit. We make sure that our people and our members, and we have about 700 plus on our mailing list, get out and vote. It is so important. We, we use very, very tangible things mm. to help you get out and vote. You know, our, our our local elections are one of the most important elections that we have.
0: Yeah, and when you think about that, because so few people—I mean, what's the the general percentage, um, David? Well, I, and then and then does that mean that your vote counts even more? Well, sure it
1: does. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, but Y'all you hear know, general, your
0: vote counts more. Generally speaking,
1: as I said, local elections—the turnout is in the twenties. The midterm elections, it's in the forties, and in the uh, presidential uh, elections, it's in the sixties. So I, I would say that any increase this year that's that's different than it might have been four years ago is going to make us think there's something in the water that's getting people uh, out to vote. It could be the the, the uh, challenge of the independent uh, uh, candidates in city council. It could be the perhaps historic elections in Delaware County and, and in Chester County where the Democrats could, for the first time in like forever, and forever uh, control yeah. the courthouse. Yeah. So we'll be watching not just the absolute turnouts, but relative to what they might have been four years ago, because that'll tell us something about what's going on out there.
0: Yeah. Any predictions on the statewide turnout, Nick?
4: Well,
1: it'd be tough to tell. I imagine they will be quite low. I
4: imagine they'll be in line with the Mm -hmm. numbers you just heard. It's it's interesting to see them try to nationalize the race. I've seen TV ads recently for some of the court races that bring up Donald Trump, uh, specifically in Democratic ads that try to motivate people to vote against Donald Trump in these elections. So as you can see they're trying to ride that wave of national interest in politics to get turnout in these local races.
0: Yeah, so are people trying to link a character? Yeah. They're linking yeah. a character 100%. to local people. Which gets kind of motivate. silly, I have to yeah. say.
1: You know, the guy's running for dog catcher, and next thing you <laughs> want you say <to> some <laughs> he's in Donald Trump's pocket. You know I mean? But this is what the parties do. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so this part of our discussion is for the podcast— and so I want to ask you to predict uh, Tuesday a little bit. Do you think any of these independents are going to bust through, Jasmine?
2: No, no. Philly is not. It's just my own
0: prediction. Philly
2: is just not ready yet. I'm rooting for. You know, look, I'm rooting for them all. I, I would love to see a shakeup, but no, I, I think we'll, we'll still be be with our same our same predictions. Yeah, same five Democrats. Same uh,
0: to ours. Any comments?
2: I'm going to
1: take a pass on predictions because sometimes predictions have a way of like influencing what actually happens. You yeah. know, and yeah. So we try to stay up. But, uh, you know, we, we as, as Jasmine said, we, we have, a, I think, a terrific suite of tools for people. We have our website, 70.org, and our, our app, which is called WeVote, which gives you everything you need. I love that app. In the palm of your hand. So, you know. More is better. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, the the victory we look for is, you know, the turnout far exceeds expectations.
0: Yeah, yeah. Any uh, predictions on on our county races? Do you think that the Democrats will make, uh, you know, any headway this I time? I think you'll
4: see strong returns in those four-collar counties. I'd be very shocked if they didn't. Yeah. That, would, that would be a sign of worry for the Democratic Party statewide. If they underwhelmed in those counties, because they're going to need them big time next year.
0: So do you think that the Democrats will get their historic win in Delaware County? I think so.
1: You think so? It's almost assured because there's five seats and there's two Democrats right now. Sorry. So but only all they one? need,
0: all they need is one win. Yeah. And if they get
2: more I mean, than that. It'd be that...
1: shocking if they didn't,
0: I would be shocked. I I
2: wholeheartedly agree. I do think out there in the county that the Democrats will take it. And, again, shout-out to Monica. She is our She Can Win girl. Go, Monica.
0: (laughs) You got one in there. You got one in there. Um, And so let's look for 2020. I mean, I know it's still early. Um, We – Pennsylvania swung red. Um, Will it swing blue this time, or do you think that it'll it'll be up to the last day (laughs) until we find out? Uh,
1: Let me just – sort of established the, the baseline. Uh, Trump won by 44,000 votes in 2016, close. which was about 0.7% margin, I think. And two other things, an extraordinary, maybe Nick knows these numbers, a lot of people didn't vote for president because they didn't like either one of the choices. And then you had a, a reasonable number of people vote for Jill Stein, the, the Green Party candidate. Maybe some of those folks just weren't happy with the major party choices either. So throw that all in the mix. and But the ground game just to turn people out, register people, turn people out, is going to be extraordinary. Um, and one of quick thing: the governor is signing uh, t- tomorrow uh, a, a package of election reforms, which we believe is, is all a good thing and will make it easier to vote. Mm. And uh, will, uh, uh, in itself, bring people from both parties out to the polls. So that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. So it was close. Anybody predicting? 2020, or are we too
1: soon? Already, it's hard not not to rallying the Democrats. Tell us us who the Democratic candidate is. You say
0: anybody but Trump, but you know that didn't necessarily that doesn't always work. No, that didn't work in 2016. You can't say uh, that, but I do want to go back and then talk about because ballot questions. Uh, There are three ballot questions, and one is actually Marcy's Law is causing a little bit of friction. It's going to be, I don't know, David, if you could answer this. Yeah, Um, we've
1: not taken a position on that because it's a little outside of our lane.
0: Yeah, I know that. Except
1: to say Mm -hmm. it's a very confusingly worded ballot question. So I would encourage folks, again, to do a little homework and and dig in. I know, uh, and there are court challenges around that. And actually the,
0: uh, the ACLU of Pennsylvania won a preliminary injunction. So it means that, the vote on, on that will not be certified until their lawsuit is concluded. So even if yeah. you vote on Tuesday, uh, you might not know whether or not the Constitution has changed until the law, the, the you know, the lawyers finish arguing and the judge makes a decision. Yep. So there you go. We have a new addition to Election Day, the voting machines.
1: Yeah. Uh, after a long, drawn-out and controversial process, Philadelphia has brand-new voting machines, which will take a little getting used to, but— I'm convinced they're much more secure than the ones we had. And that was the whole point. We had security issues with our old machines. So might take a little extra time, go online, find the the how-to video to get yourself acclimated. But um, don't let that, you know, put you off from voting.
0: Um, So with that, (laughs) because this is Flashpoint, we do uh, need to wrap this up. And I think we kind of did this a little bit. But I want you all to give the one-liner or two-liners as to why folks – need to participate on November 5th and cast that ballot. And if you want to get any resources to help those procrastinators get up to speed, feel free.
2: Well, I say it every time I'm here, vote like a black woman. We vote often, all the time, and in droves. That's right.
1: That's <laughs> great. I'll second that. Um, our website, 70.org, our WeVote app. And here's my, here's my always encouragement. Take your kids to the polls with you. It's the single best thing you can do for them. To teach them about the whole process and get some sort of in the groove. So however they all the, are the, you know, taking the poll, we're going to do something where we're going to ask for people to, to post uh, selfie uh, selfies of their kids at the polls on Election Day and see what we end up with. You're going to have some adorable pictures. I hope so.
2: <laughs> I bring my kids every year. If yeah. you follow me on Instagram, every year you see my babies
4: voting with me. Yeah, That's right. right. It's
0: huge. Super voters being you created.
4: Bet. I can remember my parents taking me to vote You know, about 20 years ago now, and it really it makes a difference. Yeah, It convinces them. I mean, it's the cliche, but it's your voice and your voice matters. And it's using your constitutional rights.
0: And that's it. Your voice matters. So with that, I want to say thank you to Nick Field, David Thornburg, and Jasmine Sessons for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Next up, just weeks after being acquitted of voluntary manslaughter, Michael White speaks out in his first news interview.
3: I've never met any of this ahead. So, I forgive myself for that.
0: The racially charged case and how he's coming to terms with what happened. We'll be right
1: back. I'm Matt Leon, sports reporter and anchor here at KYW News Radio. Talking to athletes, coaches, people in Philly sports every day, you find out they have incredible stories to tell. So, I started a podcast, a weekly conversation with someone you should know more about. It's called One on One with Matt Leon.
0: Subscribe now wherever you listen. Hey, guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week is Michael White. On October 17th, a jury acquitted White of voluntary manslaughter and other crimes in connection with the 2018 Brittenhouse Square stabbing of real estate developer Sean Skellinger. They found him guilty on a charge of evidence tampering. That decision sparked outrage. John's mother, Linda Skellinger, on WPHT.
4: Larry Krasner needs to be arrested for corruption.
0: In recent days, Michael White has been speaking out, and he is here in the KYW studios with his attorney, Kier Bradford Gray, chief of the Defender Association of Philadelphia. Welcome to both of you to Flashpoint. Thank you. So first of all, how you doing, Michael?
3: Uh, I feel relieved.
0: You made your first public appearance at a church days after the verdict. Why was it important for you to go to that church and address the congregation?
3: At first, I I thought it was just going to be like an intimate setting. I didn't really expect no media or nothing to be there. I thought it was important because that was the church where I surrendered myself at. So I just wanted to thank them for all their prayers and all their support and everything because it really went a long way. And I just wanted to appreciate them for what they did, you know what I mean? Like, nobody has to ever do anything for me. So I just felt like it was only right if I went there and I spoke.
0: And you apologized to the Skellinger family at that time.
3: I was sorry for the loss that um, that they had to experience that because no one ever wants to lose a loved one. But um, I just wanted them to know that I felt I felt remorse, and I didn't want them to think it was just some apology tour or anything like that. I just, I wanted them to feel where I was coming from, out of my mouth, because I wasn't able to speak for, like, 15 months to them, to the media, to nobody. Nobody ever heard from me. Nobody ever heard out of my mouth, like, I'm sorry for your loss, or I'm sorry, or any type of apology or nothing like that.
0: What was it like watching stories being told about you, but not being able to say anything in response?
3: I was reading, like, every article that came out about me. Like, I was just obsessing over it. I know the truth. So whenever I would read stuff, it would be like, this isn't the truth. But I was never worried because I knew I had my chance to speak. So I just stayed silent. I stayed focused on the goal at hand and just waited.
0: What was missing?
3: A lot of misinformation. It was a lot of um, suggestive comments. Like, he was this type of person. He did, like, I can't really say. But he, like, you know, it was a lot of things that weren't really accurate. Like, the things that I said, the things that I did, the description of me, like, even though the college thing, like, I was a year out of college going back. I was supposed to go back that fall, but everybody just got it mixed up, like, oh, he was home for the summer, this, is and that. It was just a lot of things being misrepresented in the media, like, about my character, about the decisions I made, about the actual event, what happened. Uh,
0: obviously, charges have been filed against you, and then there was a gag order. Did you walk around? Did you stay in? What what were you doing during that time?
3: Like after the time where I got off like house arrest and everything, I was looking for work. I know I was going through all these legal things, but like I still had to support myself because like it's not like I was a kid. I was twenty. I had to get money to support myself. Like I was living with my aunt. but At the same time, it's like I don't expect my aunt to do everything for me. You know what I mean? Like I gotta get up and do things for myself if I ever want to be a, a self sufficient adult. So I was just looking for jobs. They telling me no people didn't heard about the case and everything. Nobody wanted to hire me or nothing. So it was just like a period of just looking for work and just coming up short.
0: The the Of course, you know, there was a lot of discussions by the family of Sean Um Lots of things being said. Uh, they are upset, as you can imagine. Um, how do you deal with that part of it? Because they, they may never forgive you for this.
3: Yeah, I, and I understand that 100%. Like, I've already come to the terms that they may not ever forgive me ever because um, I've seen like friends of mine who've been grieving their loved ones who don't even know what happened or who killed them and I understand they pain because I'm, I'm living it with them like I had a friend who got shot in Baltimore and I haven't had the opportunity to go down there and like really talk with his family or anything like that but it's like I I can only imagine like the pain that they going through because they don't even know who shot him. They probably will never forget the person who did that. I know what it's like for a grieving family to feel that way. Like, I, I was a part of a grieving family before, too. So, it's, like, I understand. I'm not, I don't hold no type of hate in my heart toward them. It's like, it's unfortunate what happened, but I understand.
0: So, I want to bring you in here, Kier, a little bit, because you're the chief defender. Typically, someone in your role does not come into the courtroom. Why did you take that? this case and decide to come back to the courtroom. It was the Defender Association that started this case a year before I decided to come in. Yeah.
5: And they were really representing Michael White um, pretty stellarly. There was just something that I saw in Mike that just struck me, struck my, my, my chords, saying, um, I think I want to get into this case to really bring about some of the undertones that need to be brought out. And I thought that I was in the best position to do that because it really meant something to me, not just from a career standpoint, but from a life standpoint, looking at young black boys into this system and being characterized and mischaracterized in ways that allow people to do what they want with them. And when I saw Mike a few times at Uncle Bobby's where he was working at the time, just watching him and and observing him, I didn't see what I had been reading. And mm-hmm. something about mm-hmm. him just just made me think of my son. As I was looking at him, that those eyes, the deer in headlight look. I'm looking at my son, and I'm just saying it's just like I said. It started just from my heart. Um, if I would have thought about it seriously at the time that I decided to get into it, I probably would have talked myself out of it for a number of reasons. You know, I think I was talking to you one day, and everyone when I decided that I wanted to join my team. Um, And shout out to the Defender team because Jonathan Strange, Dan Dan Stevens, amazing lawyers. But when I decided to join my team, um, a lot of people told me, uh, thought I was crazy, said you have nothing to gain, everything to lose. And um, it was pretty bad in terms of people telling me that I should not be involved in this case. But there was just a sense of responsibility that I had that sometimes you know how you can't explain it. It's just there and you feel it and you just go for it. and Something about whatever stars were aligning, something about me believed in him in terms of who he was and what an asset he was to his community uh, that I just felt like I needed to lend my
3: voice.
0: Like, when that verdict came, what went through your mind?
3: Just a whole bunch of relief. Um, I really didn't know what to think Like when it it happened. I was just—I don't want to say I was numb because I did feel something. I just can't describe what that feeling was. It was just like—I was shocked. Not saying that, you know— I didn't expect it, but I wasn't expecting anything. That's the best answer that I can come up with for that.
0: You was like, whatever, you had resigned yourself to whatever the the fate is, that's what it is.
3: Yeah, because I just, early on when this case happened, I put it in my mind that um, whatever the outcome may be, I'm going to have to live with the fact that this event happened, regardless if I'm guilty or not guilty. So it's best to find peace with the situation and not so much the outcome. Because, say, if I was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter, I would still have to go to jail, come home, and live with this situation. If I got found not guilty, I would still live with this situation. So it wasn't so much the outcome I was worried about. It was so much finding peace with the situation. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And so, Kira, you have risked your reputation for this. Also, it's like a personal thing as well, Mm -hmm. your reaction to that verdict.
5: I think I squeezed Mike's hand. I thought I was going to break his hand. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Look, I, I, you never know what to expect. You, you, you do your best and you put it all on the line. And at the end of the day, it's someone else's decision. Um, I think the fact that we had diverse jury that could understand some of the things that uh, I was bringing out in terms of the undertones of the case. Um, there was a racial aspect to this case that needed to be addressed. And I I, I, I could not shy away from that. If I did, I'd be untrue to myself. In uh, knowing what I know experience wise and career wise as to how um, you know race plays a big role in what we do in our system, so i don 't even see that it was uh, an impact to my what do you call? did you say brand per se? reputation reputation i don 't see it was that because I think anyone who knows me knows this is me yeah, um, the this thing, is, we, yeah. You, and you know it um, yeah. this is what drives me. And this is what I live for in order to champion things that I truly believe in. So I thought it was right in line with who I was and what I came here to do and why I stayed in the role that I stayed in. And so, honestly, win or lose, I was always wanted to be known as the person that did what they believed in, despite the fact that everyone else thought it was not a good idea.
0: Yeah. And I got to follow up with that because some people said that, you know, the racial aspect of this didn't was unnecessary. Um, that the race cart was pulled in order to, to gain sympathy for Michael here. What do you say in response to that?
5: Um, I say that they're very naive to the real world because if they think that this is all about a ploy or a tactic versus real-life uh, experience and understanding, then they need to do a little bit more homework and understand how people, and young boys especially, are brought into this system and how the narration around incidents can really cause people to believe that he is not worthy of fighting for. And, um, you know, look, we're coming off the heels of a lot of this level of consciousness of how race plays a role in the justice system. And if there's any structure that still has an inherent uh, undertone of racism, it is the justice system. And I I don't think that people like myself or people who are not like myself should really shy away from that or be afraid to speak on it because it's real. And ask anybody who's been in this system— they can tell you how real it is. I know yeah. we just last night at the Pennsylvania Innocence Project with mm-hmm. oh, um, the Exonerated Five. I mean, Yousef Salon talked about how narration played a key role in them being brought into this system the way they were and charges being based and predicated around the media um, stories and, yeah. and hype that surrounded, you know, these young kids and who they were, and what they were doing. $85,000 of ads being taken out so that it could influence the decision. So that's not left in the '80s um, or the '90s. That's still happening
0: today. Do you think if any fact had changed, with the would it have affected the outcome? Because there's a lot of, I mean, the timing too. Yeah. Talk about the timing. This is the same time we have other uh, big, high-profile cases that yeah. are dealing with the issue of race at the exact same time.
5: Yeah, and I think that's what you just said is is real. Look. Everything had to happen the way it did in order for this to be possible. Um, I can't say it was one factor. But like I said, these things were bubbling up. Um, The understanding of how race plays a role in police, you know, decision making, because this came off the heels of yet another African-American woman being shot in their own home. Um, And and so— all of these things are playing a part, and if people don't believe we need to stop, take a moment, and really talk about the role race plays in this system from policing to the justice system practices to sentencing and beyond, uh, I think that we're going to miss a real opportunity to fix things and really reform our system. We have all these reform Initiatives going on but we haven't touched the issue of race and how that drives behaviors.
0: Yeah, and people are afraid of the issue of race And so what has been the reaction Michael to the verdict? What are people saying? What have what have you what has been the reaction?
3: Um, I've been getting mostly support some hate but mostly support Um, It doesn't really affect like my mindset because I know what I'm here to do like personally like, I, I guess somebody who knows one of the, um, somebody in the Skellinger family had DM me and, and saying all this hateful stuff. He said he was like a family friend or something like that. It didn't really affect me. I just, I looked at it, I read it, but then I realized how much support that I had. And that's the part that I focus on. Like, I know that there's going to be people who don't like this verdict and there's going to be people who support me and are happy that I was um, found not guilty. But I think ultimately, neither really affects me. I just have to continue to live my life and walk in my path and stay focused on that. Like,
0: and you said you know why, what you're here to do. What, what is that?
3: I'm, I'm here to bring change somehow. I knew it since I was like 17 because I was in an accident. I, got, I was on my bike. I was like a day away from about to enlist in the Marines. And I got hit by a car. And I was in the hospital and... I woke up to my mom holding my pinky. She was praying for me, and she had told me they was about to pronounce me dead and all that, and I just thought to myself, like, damn, it could have been over just like that. So I've got, like, three or four second chances in life, so I have to be here for some reason. So That's why I think in my head, I know in my head that I'm here to bring some type of change, or I'm here here for something. It's just I have to continue to live to find that out, and I'm, I'm being afforded these chances by the grace of God. Honestly, so.
0: Did this incident change you?
3: This incident made me mature a lot faster. I got a couple of gray hairs now, for real. Like it's, It was really stressful, like behind the scenes, like just really weighing on me. Like I feel like it, it made me a better human, you know what I mean? Like just to be more human with people. Like I already had that mindset, but just like it made me explore that deeper, like what it means to be a human being. And y'all was talking about the whole race thing. Like, I I don't know if he was racist or not. I don't know that man. We just met in that one instance. In that moment, what was said was what was said. And I'm not here to pull no race cards. I'm not here to say one person is this or one person is that. But what was said was what was said. And I feel like that had to be known.
0: Have you forgiven yourself? Because at the end of the day, Somebody died because of that moment in time.
3: Um, that's that's just something that I think about. I've forgiven myself in in a way. Not to say I haven't totally forgiven myself, but I've forgiven myself like in a different way. Because I, like, I know that I never meant for any of this to happen. So I forgive myself for that. I, feel, I I just I have trouble like showing emotion a lot of the time, and it's not because of. Me just not caring. That's just because of, like, all this stuff I've been through in life. Like, I've just—I I try to make myself calm in every situation because if I stress too much, then it just creates a ripple effect with everybody else that's around me. Like, it's inside. Like, I can tell you that it's inside.
0: Did you did you feel there was some type of reaction to you because of that?
3: Yeah, I, f- I feel like a lot of people thought that I just was, like, oblivious. Like, you got this deer in the head, like, look, like, you don't know what's going on. And I'm just like, no, that's not even—that's not even it there's a lot going on in my head. Like, I process a whole lot. It's just, I can't make that available to everybody because not everybody's going to understand it.
0: What do you want people to know?
3: Um, I want people to know that I'm everything that I say I'm going to be, and that is I'm a leader, not a follower. I'm, I'm here to bring change. I'm a human being, and I I care about people. I care about people's mental health. I care about people's, like, feelings and everything and you may not see that like express out in the public cuz it's not for me it's not a public thing i'm not out here to like do this for any cameras or anything i'm like real people have real problems so the type of person that i am is i'm a community person and i'm going to grow into i'm going to grow into that eventually cuz i'm only 22 as i get older i'll prove those things but that's who i am that's who i've always been and that's what i've realized throughout this entire like situation People have come from everywhere just to support me. So now it's my chance to go out and support as many people as possible and help change the world some
0: This is a second chance in many ways, and you plan like on I'm using fourth. it. You're on your fourth the your fourth <laughs> chance? I
1: like your, fourth.
0: your fourth chance. Um, so you know are you you back at work? you trying to build a life? Are you going to go back to school? What, what do you want to do for yourself now?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going back to school. Just now, I'm just focusing on stability. That's the most important thing. I don't, I don't know what the future holds, but just having a stable foundation in place, just in just in case anything happens. My life is so unpredictable. I, like, I, I just my main, my main thing is being stable and being prepared for anything that could happen.
0: I can't remember another case that was this high profile for the Defender Association in Me a while. Either. Me either.
5: And you want to know, it's so funny, why well, I knew it was profile um, because when it came out, it was in the papers and all that. It had died down. I knew it was still interest, but I didn't realize so many people uh, had a personal stake. in it, even though they didn't know Mike nor us, uh, it just had a different meaning for people in this city uh, for whatever reason. But when I had, after it was over, I mean, people have come up to me with just people I never even knew were mm-hmm. just you know, talk about how much this meant to them in terms of the system. Whether Whatever the outcome was, it meant something to them to see um, people fighting for what they believe in yeah. and fighting for someone who has value, who's an asset to their community. Um, despite the unfortunate incident, uh, Mike has a lot of value. You can, you can hear it in his voice. You can see it. And, and just interacting with him, he is a very um, empathetic person. And you can just see that whether or not his affect is just flat, <laughs> but getting to know him more as he opens up, um, you can tell he's got a per- He's a person with a big heart, and that's you know right after my soul because I feel like that's me too. And my son mimics that. I mean, all of these things. It's like it was like a kindred kindredness when I started to meet him yeah. and talk to him. I kept saying, you know, my son says that, <laughs> my daughter says that. It's just it was just so strange. I had never had a case before where I felt so passionately uh, immersed in it. I'm always very passionate and, about my work, mm-hmm. but it was different, and that put a lot of stress and a lot of gray hairs on me. <laughs> um, I because, think she might have got a couple more than. You I think mean, I got a lot more than him. Despite yeah. my dying, it is still coming out. Um, it took a lot. This case took a lot out of me. I mean, remember, I had to get up to speed on a year's work, worth of, of work in a month and one i didn't know if that was the right thing for me to do It was that smart and two i hadn't been in a courtroom in a jury trial in seven years and i knew i was you know good at when i when i was doing it but i didn't really know it i still had, I had to get out the law books i had to do all kinds of stuff i mean i was up some pretty late nights
0: yeah and you've never lost a case
5: not a jury trial in state court not
0: jury federal trials. court Yes, but uh, we, we won so, more like, in federal yeah.
5: court than we lost. But yeah. honestly, um, this was what I was yeah. thought I was born to do, be a
0: trial lawyer. People have said that, look, the DA's office made it easy for you. They took the third-degree murder charge off the table. Your response to, to that? Anyone who watched that case knew it wasn't easy. Um, there was nothing, in Mike said that
5: there was nothing easy about that trial. Two, uh, you know, when... Voluntary manslaughter is a lower charge than third degree and if you couldn't get him on voluntary manslaughter, I don't know how they expected them to be able to find him guilty on charges that were even more malice involved. So let's just talk about the charges really quickly. First degree is what he was originally charged with. And this case was never even if it was no it was narrated uh pretty poorly in the media in my estimation. And that's premeditation. Premeditation. Lying in wait saying in your head, words used, I'm going to go out and do this to someone. Or when you see someone's like, hey, I'm going to do this to you. So it's like an intention that that's what you want to do, first degree. Third degree is more of a heat of passion, meaning like if there was an actual fight and people keep characterizing this as a fight, this was not a fight. This was 72 seconds time span and all that, what happened to him was not his willful engagement of a fight. Excuse me. He... Uh, spoke up about something that he believed was wrong and said words basically, can everybody just relax? You know, whatever his words were, that was the sentiment. He never intended to get into a physical altercation by calling out bad behavior because, you know, I call out bad behavior too. That's just not what you're used to. And so if this were a fight, third degree may have been more um, proper Because that would have meant that he was willingly a willing participant in a heated exchange that would involve physical uh, interaction. Everything in that trial said he was trying to avoid physical interaction. Their own witnesses at the preliminary hearing said he was backing up. He was asking the person to to stand back, uh, holding his hands out, signaling, I don't want to do this. So third degree would not have been proper. Because there was no sparring, you know. If a man and a man want to engage in a fight and something happens that's fatal, that's third degree. This wasn't a man and a man willingly engaging in a fight. Mike was attacked, um, and he didn't want to involve in any of that physical activity. So Mm -hmm. if you really are conscious about the law and you understand the law— you know that third degree would never been proper in this involuntary manslaughter. If you want to look at it through the lens that you looked at it and you want to put that on the table, that would have been the most appropriate. I mean, I don't believe, given everything we know, even things that couldn't come out of the trial, um, that that would that should have even been proper. But I'm glad a jury ultimately found and saw this case for what it was. He was afforded the protections of the law, just like anybody else. Self defense is a legal principle saying that if you are being if you are in a situation where you believe that you're either gonna be in in, um, in danger of bodily injury or death, you have a right to protect yourself. That is rooted in the law. Yeah. Um he deserves that protection just like anyone else. Yeah. Did this
0: incident change you, Kier?
5: I don't know. If it changed me, because this is, like, who I am. And what you do.
0: Yeah, I just (laughs) Um, had to ask,
5: yeah. I can't say it changed me at all. I can just say this, and I know Mike had a little hesitation about race and saying race card. I really, that term bothers me so much, race card. Race is something I live with uh, and everybody else in this nation lives with. Mm -hmm. No matter what race you are, you live with what the experiences that you have to deal with walking in your skin and, you know, to relegate it to a proposition that is only to be used to to benefit in some way is just so ignorant of the experiences that people have. And I really wish that we can have an open, honest discussion about race that doesn't offend people, but enlightens people and has people joining together to really be the anti-racist instead of the non-racist. And I'm still I'm on that mission now. I'm going to take it on. Uh, it's not going to make me very popular amongst every crowd. I get it. But quite frankly, if I don't use this platform for something bigger than myself or or even bigger than Mike, then what am I doing here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this case is not over. Um, There's still more uh, to be done. Um, There's a sentencing that's going to happen. Mike, how are you preparing yourself um, for that? I mean, you still have to go back to court.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm just um, still staying focused on what I have to do to keep my, my life in order. I'm not out here looking for no trouble. I'm not here creating no trouble. I'm just focused on staying at work and, and building on my life and doing the things that I want to do and showing everybody who thought otherwise different. That's all I'm focused on. I'm just, I'm not here to prove nobody wrong, but I'm here to show you who I am. That's it.
0: All right. Any final words as we wrap this up? I just
5: want to thank you for your you know steadfast reporting on these real-life issues. I think that it's important to bring these stories to light in a way that's um, balanced. And so I, I just thank you for your journalism. I thank you for your sense of responsibility.
0: Thank you, Kier. And congratulations on Journalist of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Anything from you, Michael? I mean, you got to—I mean, you, this is you. I mean, this is, this is part of your life now, part of your history. And you have to build from this. How will you stay focused?
3: always choosing to do the right thing that's 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 um i feel like that's that's the way not that i have to live life but that's um that's the way i should live life so always choosing to do the right thing
0: well with that i want to say thank you to you michael white thank you to you Kier bradford gray uh, for coming on flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news thank you after I completed the interview with Michael White and Kier Bradford Gray, I contacted the Skellinger family, and I got a call from Mark Skellinger, Sean Skellinger, father, and this is what he had to say. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to comment. Um, as I mentioned, I had uh, Michael White here today and Kier Bradford Gray. Um, Michael gave an interview talking about just sort of how he's been dealing with everything. And he did apologize to the family and talked about what it was like, you know, not being able to speak and say anything until the trial. And so I just wanted that was the context of the interview.
6: First of all, I'll I'll reiterate what I said on your sister TV station that, you know, when when you're, when you're a child, you're taught, if you want to apologize to someone, you do it to that person face to face doing it via the media sort of speaks for itself. It's, it's very self-serving and, uh, you know, it's for, it's for the public and it's for other charges that he has pending that weren't able to be brought up in court. The thrust of my comments without hearing what was said is, is very simple. Throughout this trial, since the trial, since before the trial, Sean has been portrayed by defendant and his legal team of six to be a racist. And they dug up people from a bar fight 11 years ago. Okay, Sean drank. They trashed him in every way imaginable, searching through his past. What they didn't find, because it doesn't exist, is anyone who could ever say Sean uttered a racial epitaph, was a racist in any way. There was absolutely no corroboration during the trial of what White said. Nobody else heard it, because that's not at all who Sean was. And that's my whole focus, and I'm not letting that go until... The lie is acknowledged. I know why the lie was said. The whole case was racially based, and they had to do that. Sean Skellinger was not a racist, and his entire life reflects that. His entire life.
0: Thank you. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Because I will say this, that um, Kier Bradford Gray offered. She said after, I guess, this uh, concludes, um, they would all, of course— like to meet with you all. I mean, at this point, I guess, uh, and so I'll leave it there. Out.
6: She can she can do that, not via the media, if that's really what she's after. But okay. she's already the damage has been done. It's been put in the paper. It's been put in the press. He's been smeared. He's been trashed. He was put on trial. There were things about his past that could be brought up. Again, n- none having any evidence of any racist behavior ever, ever. As a matter of fact, his entire life from dating African-American women to, I mean, it's disgusting You have to say it. His entire life shows that that is not who or what he was, and that was the entire basis of the defense, and it worked, and it's a lie. I just want the truth to come out. And until he says to us, Sean didn't say that because he didn't say it, and until she takes back all the smearing comments that were done during that trial, and then there's people that, my son's in education. He works with African-American students. Now they look at him sideways because, oh, your brother was portrayed this way. I taught African-American authors to minority students most of my education career. I mean, it's, a, it's an absolute disgrace. And we've just been trashed and smeared. And his memory's been crushed. And, uh, and now his killer is being celebrated.
0: Well, I want to say to you, uh, Mr. Skellinger, I'm deeply sorry for your loss here, Um, and I appreciate your comment. Is there anything else you'd like to say?
6: I think that'll do it.
0: That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As President Barack Obama once said, we have to uphold a free press and freedom of speech because in the end, lies and misinformation are no match for the truth. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.